Hello, and welcome to another episode of From Red to Black, A Homicide Life on the Street podcast. I'm Joe. This is Daniel. This episode we're going to review It's titled Fits Like a Glove. It originally aired Friday, 10 p.m. on NBC, October 21, 1994. The writer was Bonnie Mark. It was directed by Ted Demi and Julie Martin and Tom Fontana contributed to the story. A really brief synopsis. Um, Kathy makes a big mistake on the case, so Russett replaces Gaffney with Pambleton. Another victim is found. Bell, meanwhile, is trying to decide between his family and his relationship with Megan. And then on the buying the restaurant front, something from Bayless's past comes out when they try to get their liquor license for the bar. At the end of the show, a third victim is discovered. Yeah. And I was thinking before, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first episode where the killer is killed across episodes. Not that we haven't pursued Adina Watson's killer, but there was never more murders. Yeah. So this is the first, this is three now, three episodes really about the same Red Bull. Yeah. Which is different for the show. Right, yeah. So the, this case is growing, which it has, we have not seen before. Right. Um, and it really does feel like a mystery Right, like it feels like there are clues being left and we're trying to kind of like guess along, yes. which really the first two seasons did not no. did not do. No, no. Um, sort of that, you know, dramatic shift that we're kind of seeing in, you know, what I, what I think I called last time Homicide 2.0, you know, this kind of like reboot idea. Uh, and it'll be neat to see how that, how that maintains throughout the rest of this season. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of thinking... It's not going to, but I have no idea. Right. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's been, there's obviously been some difference in the show from season two to now. I mean, they call it, they called it out in the last episode and they're delivering on that. You know, like this, there are things in this episode that we're going to, we'll get to. I don't want to spill too many jelly beans before the movie starts, but um, there's uh Things that they do in this episode that seem so different from anything we've seen before from this show that are really like wholly in these first episodes and maybe even this one a little bit more. But um, Completely agree with that. Yeah. So we're, uh, which one of the, th- we have three major storylines here. We wanted to start with the Let, relationship. Let's do the Bo and Megan storyline. Are you interested in this storyline at all? Honestly, no. Yeah. I, I don't care. Because knowing Bo, I know it's doomed to failure. Right. <laughs> and it's like, why should I get emotionally involved when she is too classy for him? He's a jerk. And you just know it won't end well. And believe me, I don't remember any of it. So they could get married for all I know. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. But... No, I, I must say, I don't find it compelling. Yeah. I thought it was only me. No, and, and especially, I think, compared to what else is happening 
in these episodes, it's it is really hard to care. Yeah. It seems like it spends a lot of time kind of marking time. You know, like there not a lot changes from scene to no, scene when they no. check back in with it. Uh, I totally get why they make the why they give this storyline to Bo Felton though. Because he's just not compelling as a detective. Right? Like, he's not as interesting to watch as Bayless or Munch or Bolander, anyone else there. Um, and I think he's considered handsome, mm-hmm. somewhat of a heartthrob. Right. So it makes sense. Goes to back to that, right. let's sex it up yeah. routine. Um, so I, I can see, like, if they, if they started season three with Frank having an affair, like, that would just be, like, they would miss such a great opportunity to do what they're doing right. with Frank right now. So, right. so yeah, I, I understand why both. That's a good point. Some, yeah. He's the right guy for that job. Yeah, someone's got to take one for right. the team and do this, you know, kind of weird, like, way off-brand uh, for Homicide storyline. But um, let's let's go through. We'll talk about it um so that the last episode ended with the bombshell that we find out that that's who Bo Felton is, uh, I guess, staying with now yes. since Beth kicked him out. Um, in this, there's this uh, scene where Bo wakes up, I guess, in Russert's house, and they're out looking out the window and they're watching her daughter kind of play in the yard. And that scene, I thought it was so smartly written. They are so different. Hmm. It, it just in that little interaction. She shows the pic. He, you know, sees a picture, and he's like, "Where are you in this picture?" <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, it's Budapest." Right. She went to Prague, Budapest, and someplace else. And then his response to that is, "I've always wanted to travel to Alaska, Alaska, to see Eskimos, snow, and blubber." Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what a, a third grader thinks of Alaska. You know, uh, she is like so worldly, and he is just so. Yeah. I don't even... Like, he's not dumb, you know what I mean? But he's just so different from Yeah, her. yeah. Um, I mean, opposites attract, I guess. Uh, so, the... I guess the other way that this story kind of expands in this episode is managing that relationship with um, Kay. And Kay is fielding all of this attention from Beth right now. Right. She's kind of the middle man. Yeah. And so he's, like, giving her fatherly advice. The thing with the baseball glove is, like, just something he needs to say to his son. He's telling her to Uh pass that on, like, to the mom to tell the son. Um, Yeah, it just seems uh, a a really backwards attempt at fatherhood, but... And it seemed to me, maybe differently than last week... Bo knows that it's all over. His wife doesn't. But I think already by this week, Bo has zero hope of this ever working out. Right. He's done. Yeah. His wife doesn't get it. He gets it. It's over. Yeah. He definitely seemed a little bit more listless before, and now it seems like he's made up his yeah. mind. Yeah. He must have really liked that suit she cut up. I guess, right? <laughs> Is that the defining moment yeah. for him? Um, so Kay does actually hang out with Beth, um, and Kay is really, uh, you know, th- she, I, I appreciate Kay is probably sometimes the best detective in that room. She's the most competent at her job, uh, outside of Frank, Outside maybe. of Frank. Yeah. 
Um, in later seasons, though, I think that dynamic kind of shifts a little bit. There are times where she's kind of outdoing Frank even. Um, but uh, this is really Kay outside of her element. Um, she's not lying, right? But she's withholding the truth right. to Beth. And she's really, I mean, we see in that scene, she's really struggling hard to dance around. You know, like she's saying, like, go on a trip with a friend and like kind of... Because Kay also gets it. Right. That it's over. Yeah. And she can see that. Yeah. And at, at this point, I don't think Bo has told Kay, right? At that point, he didn't say it was Russert yet? No. I think that's later, no. later, later in the episode. On. So she just knows that it's someone that he's, you know, out there with. Right. Um, and uh, at the end of that conversation, you can see that Kay is just like grasping at threads to you know, kind of uh, have some meaningful conversation with Beth and she reverts back to that fatherly advice about the damn glove right. that Bo gave. She's like, oh, you have to wrap wrap the glove up. And uh, you can see, like, she... That's, I think, the moment where it most feels like a lie. It most feels like Kay is doing something wrong. Um, so, I guess... This story kind of takes a break for a while, and the next time we check back in is when uh, Kay and Bo are driving and talking, and Bo decides he's going to reveal. Uh, I thought it was pretty telling Kay's response to him. What did you think it was? What? Like, what was the response? Well, she wanted to know, like, are you in love? And it did kind you of. You sense a little. Jealousy or surprise? Yeah, definitely. Of a, of a, like, damn, like, Bo, what? Yeah. Megan. Yeah, way out of your field. Yeah, yeah, I thought, for a second, Well, you know, she recovered. What they set up, and I guess it's been so long in terms of the show that we really get this point driven home, but, like, she had so much respect for Russert. Right. She really looked up to her in the yes. beginning of the, the first half of the last episode. Right. So, I think it's almost more like she's protect. She wants to look out for Russert by asking that, like, you know, don't break her heart. You know, like, um, yeah. But I thought that was that was an interesting response for her. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what what else can she say? You know, um, she yeah, she seems a little shocked. I don't know that I would say she was jealous. She may, probably surprised that Bo. Yeah. Was able Maybe to. Maybe jealous is too strong, but there was a hint of some kind of resentment. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, which we wouldn't expect right. from, from Kay. And I think it went away quickly. She tried to cover it. She's so good as an actress. She had it on her face for a second, and she yeah. turned it around. Yeah. Um. So uh, the next time we follow up with that story is in the office, actually. And I think this is the first time, now that I guess all the cards are on the table, and as many people who are going to find out have found out, um, Bo goes into Russert's office, and uh, is he, like, asking for permission to go see his kids? Who knows? Right, like, uh, Kay has told him... Hey, Beth wants you to come over to see the kids. And Beth, of course, was just telling Kay, like, whatever you can do to get him over. It's so, almost like it's a dual work thing. 
relationship thing. Yeah. I know we're in the Red Bull. Can I go? I'm in love with you. Can I go? Yeah, right, right. So, and and that's like, she's, uh, Russert, as we would expect from her, is trying the, the, as best she can to, it's like nip it in the bud. Like, just be like, look, if this is not a professional conversation, it's, we're not going to have, have it's not appropriate. And, uh, and then of course, as he's leaving, she's like, go see your kids. Right. Like, and that, in that moment, she says it like a boss would, not as, right. uh, you know, a lover sure. would. Yeah. Um, so Bo's going to go and he, he does go, he pulls up, meets Beth outside and we, I don't want to say like Beth is like manic, but like we've seen so many different versions of Beth. In just the little bit that we've seen her, you know, like when she, like that turn when she like cut the suit, right, was like crazy, and now she seems to be like really apologetic, really like relenting to Bo, and like you were saying, like really interested in making this work. She's made like a meal and a pie and all this. The dinner's all set with fancy, you know, tablecloths, napkins, the fork placed above the <laughs> the plate on right. sideways, whatever. Um, and uh, and Bo, um, I guess, really kind of crosses that line, makes it very clear to her, like, look, like he says, he's like, you know how sometimes a negative can be a positive. This experience of him not being there has been good for him. He feels like he's maturing a little bit. Um, but he left no doubt to me in the way he responded to her. Look. I'm just leaving. I'm not even going to speak with you. This, we're, we're done. I was here to see the kids. They're not here. Goodbye. Yeah. And I think it took a while for that to sink in. Yeah. She really thought there was hope. Yeah. She doesn't seem to understand how far gone right. he is. Um, no. She does not. Yeah. And... Uh, the way that he's kind of talking about it, and the way that he's the way that he's talking, he even talks to Kay earlier about his relationship with Russert. Like he sounds like he's in high school, huh. you know, like this thing. Like I'm starting to think about what do I, what's important to me, and all this right, stuff right. is like you know, kind of like teen angst stuff and like puppy love, right? You know, like uh, I want to smell it all the time. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, that's like what are you, five years old. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he. And it, but it's appropriate to the, for the character, right? Because that's who he is. If anyone on that show could use a little bit more maturity, it's Bo, right? And this is like maybe the thing that's, you know, he found this brilliant person who's maybe inspiring him to not be such a dope. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I would say overall, again, I'm just not, I'm not moved by it. Yeah, I don't. I don't say I don't buy it. It's just it's not a lot of meaning for me. Yeah. I wonder if I would feel any different if they weren't so transparent about it in the beginning of last episode. Huh. Yeah. Like, they tipped their hand and were yeah. like, hey, we're going to sex this show up for you. Yeah. And this is that, that version of it. Um, it also feels a lot more convenient of a storyline uh, to introduce this character out of nowhere and make them so awesome and likable. Huh. Uh, Russert is totally likable. She's of a great course. addition to the cast. Um but to make her so likable and then put her in an affair with 
you know, one of the least likable characters. Um, and I, I, in the sense that I think Bo Felton is written that way. Right. He's written smartly. Right. You're right. not supposed to side with this guy. Right. Um, yeah, we don't think he's a bad actor. And, and... Right, right. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it feels more, I don't want to say forced, but I think convenient of a storyline. It's a good word. And not as interesting as some of the more like personality-driven stuff in the first two. Agree. First two seasons. That said, there's obviously a market for these type of storylines, uh-huh. right? Right. Uh, right. The, the, there's a reason we're talking about this show and not other shows. I think the reason I'm also negative about it is it's been done before on other shows just as well. Why go there? Right. If you're not going to put a homicide spin on it, why bother? Yeah, right. I mean, like, obviously, they're trying to get more eyeballs on this show. They're trying to get more mass appeal. So they're bringing it kind of back to the median, back Correct. to you know, yes. what you can expect from... So, yeah, they're, you know, they're stealing... No, they're not stealing. They're using the tools, other than the playbooks of other TV shows, I guess, at this point. Um, it's interest- It'll be interesting to see in this season how we have, like, these an A, a B, and a C plot very clear in this episode one's kind of funny one's romantic and one's you know homicide right storyline it'd be interesting to see if that keeps through yeah if that was like a firm rubric that was given by the network like all right you're gonna have a love story right. you're gonna have a funny story and you're gonna have right. a knowing homicide i'd say no right yeah i certainly hope not. <laughs> i hope it doesn't get that rigid but it'll be interesting to see um do you want to talk about the murder next sure and we'll save the liquor license yep. for the last um so what what is what are your thoughts I guess on this the escalation of this plot from the first episode to this episode? Well, I think the best thing they did was take Gaffney from a writing standpoint off the case because he's horrible, he's very unpleasant, and we saw Frank again take command and control. Yeah, you do this, you do that. And just his anger over things, intensity, no one can match him. I mean, he's on a mission. And by the way, the longer this episode arc goes, the more Catholic he's becoming. Yeah, right. (laughs) He's not denying anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely Uh more devout. He, like, crosses himself at one of the scenes. Yeah. He's very complimentary of the Jesuits, which I guess he always is, but he's like kind of waxing about romantically about his upbringing in the church and schools. Um, Yeah, so Frank has renewed his spiritual interest. Yeah, and that idea of uh, he he brings up a fallen angel in this episode, which he brought up in the last episode too when he was talking about these uh, Catholicism. Um, But in this way... Yeah, it sounds like it coming from a different perspective entirely. He seems so much more devout. And so, and that one gal <clears throat> asked him, do you believe in pure evil? And Frank asked her. She said, yes. And then he said, I do too. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he has more deeply held beliefs that are coming out in a time of stress. Yeah. Yeah, and that, so that point, when when they're having, and that's 
We're kind of skipping ahead a little yeah, bit, but that's okay. fine. Yeah. Uh, when he's talking with the nun up by the organ. church organ, yeah, up in the rafters of, the, of that church cathedral or whatever, um, that is like the total opposite of the f- kind of like bleak Frank Pembleton, almost like existential character that it was presented to us in the first season. Where, yeah, like you're saying, like he was so much more, um, like willing to open up about this religious stuff and almost like attribute real things to his spirituality. Whereas before, it seemed like he was so grounded to the point that when he brought up spirituality, it was like a weird flavor for him. And I think, I thought that scene was excellent. Yeah. Because I like to see Frank in that mode. Right. He's not being nasty, but he's being very smart. He's being very serious, but he's opening up about who he really is. And it's such a great character. Give me more. Yeah. I want to know more yeah. about Frank. Yeah, it's his... You can't give me enough. It's his intensity. You know, like, it's what you... There are parts of this episode that it sounds... Like, it feels so strange to root for him as hard as you do because he's trying to solve a murder, right? People keep sh- showing up in dumpsters. Huh. But, like, when he takes over in the the office, you're Spine like... Room. Go, Frank! Kick like ass! Yeah, you're like... You know, you're getting excited to root for him like it's a sporting event, you know? Right. Um... Yeah, I, I think that... And again, he has the right, perfect attitude. He's got everyone's respect. Yeah. Well, does he? Do you think everyone... Do, like, I mean, these other clowns... I think they do. Russert's clowns, you think yep. respect them? Yeah, respect. Mm. I'd say they like him. Um, <coughs> yeah, so he, uh, in earlier in the episode, he confronts uh, Gaffney. Well, I guess it, it starts with the reporter talking to Frank. And there was a weird moment here I noted right at the very end of this like cold open where Rhodes asks Frank um, for information. He knows that there's been, both of them have white gloves. He asks for he gives Frank an opportunity like what do you think off the record? What's the odds that you right. catch this person? And Frank is like off the record. Excellent. <laughs> there was a moment there where it felt like. Maybe Frank is the guy leaking information. Like, hmm. it's almost justifiable for him to want to sabotage what Gaffney is yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Because he's so the opposite of Frank. Um, so it was just, it was interesting to have a second there where I was like, could Frank be doing something not virtuous? And of course, no. Hmm. Um, so he confronts Gaffney about this, um, the shed. shed, that this, Gaffney had totally bungled this didn't check it out. Man, I just hate this character. Even more. Yeah. It's just so incompetent and um, and doesn't seem to care. No. He's like upset with Frank for even bringing it up. He said he didn't like the guy that was there. Um, and of course, uh, he goes and talks with G. I guess G goes and talks with Russert. And later in the episode, boom, Gaffney's pulled off the case. And the way that Russert asks G, can I have Frank? Is like kids picking uh, for baseball. Yeah. Can I have Frank? Uh, it was. I, I thought that was really um, kind of funny and out of character for her a little bit. And I thought it was great that G was very protective. <laughs> yeah. You can borrow him for today. Yeah. Right. Can you have him? No. 
Do you borrow them? Yes. Um, so uh, when Russert, there's a moment when Russert confronts Gaffney too that I think was pretty telling for both of those characters. As if you could not hate Gaffney anymore, <laughs> his response to being pulled off the case is he, he calls her a mermaid. Yes. Uh, like the sculpture on the front of a boat. Right. Saying that you're just here for Show. image. Yeah. You know, it's we want to promote, if it's like an affirmative action diversity standpoint, um, that, you know, you are just here. You're not here because of who you are. Right. Um, as a His real officer. feelings came out. Yeah, and I mean, I think I probably could have connected those dots if you had asked me, hey, how do you think Gaffney really feels about his boss? But to hear it coming out of his mouth, especially at his lowest moment. And by the way, she's telling him he's out of a homicide. Well, that's that's her response then, Let's right? see if it happens. Yeah, so she, after he goes that far, then she's like, you know what, take a couple days off. And then when you come back, I'll Decide sure. where you want to go. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. And uh, he slams the desk at that point, or no? I guess that was earlier. Yeah. But he's just like, kind of in disbelief. Um, and I guess that's the last we see from Gaffney in this yep. episode. Yes, he's gone. Fortunately, yeah. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Frank is in charge. Man, that scene when he is like assigning everyone what to do again. Like I'm like. I wrote down, Frank takes over. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, like, stand up and clap or something. Like, you're just so pumped to see him in in his element. Um, and we're getting more details of this case that they're solving. Um, you know, we feel like we're... Like, Frank can do it. And... Um, I guess they go to the the coroner and they get this information that the killer took great care to clean the blood off of this second victim Lundy's face uh, which immediately Frank takes to mean that there was some care there and maybe he flips from thinking this person was hates Catholic to the love Catholics yes yeah this person probably is but there's something going on yeah um in in the meantime, this is a Russert plot, maybe like a, a D plot, but her and the Rhodes, the newscaster, he has the information already. Who knows where he's getting it from, Gaffney. Uh, but he um, he's going to go public with the story. Right. And there's this really neat moment where she's kind of like talking to G, like, what am I going to do? He's going to go on the news. And the idea being, if that information gets out there, then it destroys any element of yep. surprise they have and information that's valuable to them. So G just tells her to lie. <laughs> Call him up and say you got she's the like guy. shocked a little bit. Yeah. She's shocked for like a second and, and then, then she, she does picks it. up the phone and does it. Um, so that was cool. She saves herself uh, a day. Um, and uh, so that gives Frank, I guess, some time to kind of chase this down a little bit more. Um, what did you think of this Mr. Fuchs character? <laughs> the collector. So weird. So weird. Um, and how did he know about the white gloves? Do we know? Or did he not know? Yeah. He he only knew about the one. 
The second one, he knew it was a dumpster at a church, okay. and he put it together. Okay. But, um, yeah. what it, um, I would say this is a very strange character, but totally believable. Oh, yeah. Like, these people exist totally. who, are, who are into this. And, I mean, now, like, you know, the, the true crime, you know, solving murder podcasts... Uh, are out there like people are in TV shows on Netflix and Correct. stuff like right. I, I think everyone or there's a lot of people now who are fans of these good point you know kind of like fetishizing mass murderers but um, yeah this character is, is really delightful good to watch character. yeah I, I mean I uh, in every scene that he's in I flip flop between you know, oh, this guy is not the killer. To oh, this guy's totally the killer. Back to no way could this guy have the capacity. Right. Um, and I, I don't think he's the killer. No, I don't think he is either. Um, yeah, he and Frank says. Uh, I guess the 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 show is aware that we're probably flip flopping on that in our minds and clears it up for us in the end by saying that he was on the the plane at five a.m. So it couldn't have been him. Right, couldn't have been him. Um, so, yeah, so there's that scene. We talked about the scene where he talks to the nun, the fallen angel, the pure evil. And then at the end of that scene, Frank uh, kind of like symbolically plucks a note on the organ. Just one ringing low note. And then they kind of like pan over huh. to the, the rest of the church. Um, so, uh, we yeah, we meet the... The weird dude, he he's actually purchased from police, from evidence, one of the white gloves. His ideas... Which they would never do, by the way, but I don't know. I don't know. Where was he, in, where was he saying he was this was? some weird Dubuque? place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe they have different rules yeah. out there. Um, and he he does seem like a very um, convincing character, so maybe he's got the gift of gab to make that happen. But, um, and he goes through... Uh, oh, they pair, pair this character. Like, if you have this weirdo, you put him in the room with Bolander. Like, the, like just the total opposite. Right. So Bolander's there. Inexplicably, he's there for the interrogation. Um, I love the point when when this guy, Fuchs, says, um, have you ever seen the movie... Or they based the movie Psycho on this one killer whose souvenirs he has. And... Uh, like, yeah, have you ever seen Psycho? And Bolander's like, I think I'm seeing one now. <laughs> um, Great line. Yeah. Um, so... You're right. He's the perfect foil for Bolander. He actually... So this Fuchs guy, for as crazy as he is and as uh, weird and fun to watch he is, comes with really great information for Frank. Frank gets on the phone, uh, starts calling these other cities... He knows now something about a red wig, so there's right, which we never knew about. There's a little little bit of evidence for him to kind of go on now, um, and uh, yeah, so Frank is kind of exploring all these options, um, and, uh, and that brings us to the end of the episode, which well, what happens at the end of the episode? We have our third white glove naked corpse found in a church so how are they going to keep this under wraps yeah I mean and you wonder why there isn't even more pressure yeah I mean that's three people same murderer come on yeah yeah this is also I think the first episode we have that has 
two murders by the same person, not at the same time. Yeah. Uh, spread out. Um, yeah, there's definitely this feeling of pressure at the end here. We know that he's already on the clock with the news report going live. Right. And then this kind of just complicates matters to have uh, you know another corpse turned up. Um, yeah, um, there's they're doing a lot of work with this storyline. I like it. Uh, I think again, seeing Frank be Frank is just is just awesome. Perfect. And this is like pretty, pretty like ultimate Frank storyline. Um, all right, you want to talk about? Oh yeah, our goofy, our yep, the goofy plotline. <laughs> yeah, of this liquor license thing. Um, well, kind of similar to, and I thought the Bo and Russert storyline was a little bit slower than it felt when we were just talking about it before. So maybe I was being unfair to that in terms of the pacing of it. This one, though, man, the first like <laughs> the first three or four times that you see Munch and Lewis and eventually Bayless together, they're just talking about filling out paperwork. <laughs> like they're like this storyline takes so long to leave the runway. Um, but uh, you can tell this is a big deal. It's an important part of them opening a bar, of course. Right. And, uh, yeah, there's a, a really great scene where Lewis is questioning Munch about his, if he has an arrest history. Now, as a cop, I figure that Lewis has, like, already looked into that and had some kind of dirt on Munch and was just waiting for yeah. him to offer it. But I guess in order to apply for a liquor license, you mm-hmm. have to, what, do you own up to it or... Yeah, and they said the state police do the in- investigation yeah. into your background. Yeah. So, yeah, they're going to sign this paperwork that gets them the license. And the big concern is <coughs> Munch, and it turns out that it's actually... Bayless. Bayless is the one that holds him up. Uh, he has a prior arrest for the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone be arrested for. Agree. Which is which gambling. no one ever gets arrested for. <laughs> There has to be someone, right? There, there has to be. Uh, his his method of gambling that he got busted for was a chain letter where you're sending out something, send one dollar to all these ten right. people or whatever. 1984, so ten years before this. It, it was really dumb. Yeah, su- super dumb. And the, uh, the way that they kind of set this story up is that Tim tells them the whole episode, I'm a silent partner, just tell me where to sign. Right. Don't bother me. So, I mean, it's suspect that he even knew what he was signing. You know, like, he kind of plays yeah, plays I agree. Dumb. Um, Really great, um, I, I'm going to guess this character's only in one episode, huh. but the guy at the liquor license yes. office. Um, he was awesome. Four, 40, 40, 40, I, I forgot his name. Um, but uh, he was so fun, really, like, giving them a hard time. Uh, and then... So they go, the Meldrick and Munch go talk to him, and he's really kind of like milks it. Like, he's almost like too excited to like tell them their application's going to be denied. Uh, and shares the, the story of Tim. Uh, the episode towards the end, Tim shows up and did like a real clever thing. If he's... I'll go back for a second. Meldrick. And um, Munch, tell Tim 
they say, you could be facing 10 years in prison. And with that, they walk away. Yeah. <laughs> that was hysterical. I'm like, you might have just ruined this guy's life. And and I thought they were going to come back. Yeah. And they're just like, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, crap. Yeah. That was really funny. I yeah, thought. I mean, I guess you strike that level of fear into someone, they're going to they're gonna go figure it yeah. out. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Tim is, I think... Uh, and he left it up to him. Yeah, yeah, and he means well. He's reliable. He, You know, he's a smart guy. Um, but yeah, that whole scene where they, like, bully him, it, it's so cool it happens in a locker room, too, because it feels like high school kids bullying. Like, they're coming, you know, ganging up on him. And, yeah, they just leave him. Hmm. And you can tell he's, like, freaked out. Because uh, should be. Of course. he. Yeah, he lied. Fell on me. Yeah. So he, um, yeah, he does a smart thing, which is refills out all the forms and then goes down there himself, gets in front of this guy, and, like, <laughs> says, like, it's a draft that they right. handed in. I was smart. A, yeah, right. Um, and it looks like, you know, we tend to believe that this I is I think gonna we're going to be okay. Yeah. Um... Like, this is played just for humor, this storyline. Uh, I totally understand why they're buying a bar in this season, because this gives you so much opportunity to not have to worry about murders and not worry right. about red balls or anything like right. that. You can kind of just have these characters... Uh, hang out. Yeah, be their goofy selves. Um, and I think it makes total sense to have these three characters uh-huh. doing it, because I think they're the most fun... Munch and Meldrick Lewis are probably my favorite characters in the show. Sometimes Frank, depending on the episode. But I think the two of them are just so bizarre, so weird. They can play the serious detective, and they can play crazy, goofy, weird stuff. Um, it's fun to see those characters do anything. Um, and Bayless, uh, anytime you see that character sweat is fun. You know, yes. he's still like the new guy. He's uptight. Yeah. Um, I think is that that's everything, right? That's yeah. the episode. You know, just looking back on it, not that we comment every time. Was this a great episode? No, no. Was it very good? No. no. Yeah. I would say it was okay. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, again, that's measuring it in the homicide measurement, right? Not against happy days. Yeah. Or Nash Bridges, you know. <laughs> I mean, against Homicide, it's, it's, it's an okay, decent episode. It's so strange. I know I have seen shows that do a cliffhanger episode that is resolved into two episodes. I don't know very many that go three episodes. Um, so maybe this one's sort of doomed for failure because it's really nothing's going to get resolved in this. Right. They're just adding more of what we've just seen before. So this And do you think everything will be resolved in three? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. why. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not Bo and Mercer. Right. right. They might try but to string the murder. Yeah, I think the murders the murders yeah. they're running out of yeah, out of room here. Um so a couple things that I think really are reaffirmed in this episode changes from previous homicide things outside of the stuff that's obvious that we've already talked about um one thing i noticed in this is the editing the like shots are a lot shorter it was so short yeah it was unreal it was like what 
It's over that scene? Yeah. Yeah, and even within within the scenes themselves. So the, this this episode was maybe the longest episode we've had so far. This is clocks in at 47 minutes or 48 minutes. And uh, the way in within the scenes, it used to be that you would just have, you know, the one camera that was on them and every now and then there'd be like that weird thing where they would double a line right, over and right. over again or whatever. And it's almost as if they used that mentality to allow them to cut scenes oddly. So it's almost like every line of dialogue, the camera cuts to a different perspective in the room, which is so different from what we've seen before. Um, it feels homicide still, because it's the handheld camera, right. and it's kind of jumping around. Right. But I think it's done to a much less artistic effect and more dramatic effect now than previously. Also, I kept pointing out, just because it, it seems so strange to me, the music. There's this, like... Yeah, I didn't even notice it. Yeah, dramatic music that kind of swells at the end of right. scenes. Very brief. Right, just just towards the end. And um, once I heard it, I couldn't not hear it. <laughs> right. Uh, I just kept thinking about it. I feel like there's some of that in the earlier seasons, but not not nearly... It wasn't as jarring, it wasn't as yeah. noticeable yeah. Um, as it was now. Um, so who do you think... Who was your... Hero in of the episode, Frank. Right, without a doubt. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be with Frank. a bullet. Um, yeah, he. I like I said that is even with all the all the things that this show is doing differently now, and the ways that that it is atypical homicide. Like they really ramp that character up so much in this episode, and it's really just fun to watch him be successful. Watch him do what he does. Even the reporter said. You're known as one of the best. Yeah. So they're hitting that. So who who came across poorly? I'm gonna say. Well, I think the the loser is Beth, Bo Felton's wife. It's a good choice. Yeah, she probably has the worst outcome in this. She has a spoonful of pie and then gives the rest to the dog. The dog. Yeah. And she's clueless. I would agree with both. Uh, Selections. Maybe I, I might also say Bo, only because it seems like. I wonder how much this love is requited. You know, like he. It seems so puppy love and it seems so juvenile, which is what Bo excels right. at. But she seems to really quote unquote love him from what I can say. Yeah. So, but there's no way it'll last. Like, no. I can't imagine her. I don't know. You know, it, it will. It'll be interesting to see how long they keep with this storyline. Um, one other thing I think that's worth pointing out. The, uh, another mention. I forget if they brought it up last episode, but uh, Cressetti. They, they mentioned. They mentioned they, his name. They did. At one point, they were like. Uh, you know, when is he? When is he getting back? I didn't catch that. Yeah, and Meldrick was like, I don't know. He hasn't even called me. Don't even know what's going on. Wow, I did that. Hear that? Yeah, very brief. And they're kind of stringing. I guess wow. sowing the seeds. Yeah. For what will be, you know, a big yes. reveal in a couple episodes. Yeah. All right. Anything else on the episode? I think we're good. That's it. Um, you know, I did want to say uh, there's a a listener. Um, who reached out to us? He runs a Facebook group called the Waterfront, where um, uh, it's James. Uh, James, we'll call him James. 
uh, he has a if you look up the waterfront homicide on Facebook he posts like uh, the episode synopsises and he posts clips it's a really great place if you just want to talk about homicide go check it out because there are listeners there so thanks for listening guys but they're doing what, what if people want to email us or contact us from red to black pod at gmail.com and red to black pod on Twitter at red to black pod so Joe that's another episode that went from red to black see you next week